Welcome back, everyone, to another Sporting Blog podcast. Uh, today's Friday, the 28th of August. Um, it's been a long month. Uh, coming out of lockdown and all of that, things are starting to get back a little bit to normal. Depends where you are in the world. Um, and one of the things that we've all spent tons of time doing, uh, quite obviously, over this period is consuming more content um, than ever before especially uh, video, whether it's YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, etc. And actually, uh, for myself, uh, I've spent a lot more time on LinkedIn, not just for self-promotion, but to see what's going on in the world, especially from a business point of view in sport, etc., etc. And uh, a while back, I think pre-lockdown, actually, in fact, last year, um, I stumbled across um, an interesting channel on LinkedIn, and um, the channel was run by a chap called Peter Breen, who we're joined by. And uh, the channel's called Rugby Bricks. And I'm going to let Pete do the intro for it. But uh, how are you going, Pete? Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm a big fan of, of podcasts and um, been running my own for a while and, and had a little break from it during COVID. So it's, it's great to be back chatting. No worries. Yeah, it's cool. And um, I have actually looked at your podcast. You've had some pretty cool guests lately. We'll, we'll get into all of the fun stuff in a minute. Just for some of our less educated listeners and those who aren't um, as up to speed with things, um, yeah. just give us a bit of background, um, A, about Rugby Bricks and, and yourself. Um, just give us the, the elevator pitch. Yeah, cool. So, so my um, my story really is I, I played, I suppose, in the rugby world. I played rugby in New Zealand professionally for six years. Um, played for Otago and Northland, and was involved with the the Highlanders and the Blues. Um, <coughs> from there, I, I played the position of first five, and and I guess um, what was was blessed in, in New Zealand to play with some of the players I did, but also be coached by some of the the coaches that I was um, involved with. And during my last year of playing, I, I sort of saw an opportunity to, to get into coaching straight away um, outside of actually just getting into coaching a team. And um, one of my big passions growing up was basketball. And I followed a lot of basketball pages um, on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and I was very aware of how they um, educated their followers with, with their content, very short form and really in-depth detail, and actually gave players ammo that they could use in their own game. I think um, one of the things that I saw with, with rugby was we were very generic, and, um, and, and here's the three steps to kick better, rather than when you are kicking, here's an element of the game that we can help you with in this scenario. So... That's the opportunity that I saw and, and really got it started um, in my last year of playing. So the Instagram page is called Rugby Bricks and I still remember the day of having 37 followers and, <laughs> and, 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 and filming, filming videos and having no idea what I was doing, but I knew the type of content that I wanted to create. So from there, um, I, I always knew also I was a goal kicker and I always knew that I, I wanted to get into kicking tees, but I wanted to build an audience first. So started with Rugby Bricks um, Instagram page and Facebook. And then a, as we've grown, we've, we've gone into Facebook, LinkedIn and YouTube and, and having our own platform online. So I think that's a pretty good overview. 
Yeah, that is cool. And it's, um, I, I find it particularly interesting. I remember seeing something on your Instagram um, along the lines of, this is, don't quote me word for word, but along the lines of you saying when someone's younger and they uh, play basketball, you know, they're, they're taught these very basic skills of dribbling and shooting every day because, you know, the running and jumping aspect is kind of uh, a given. Whereas, yes. and I can, from my experience, um, growing up at, at school, not being the biggest, you know, rugby still was very much, the first skills were about running as fast as you could in a straight line. If you were big, obviously mm. knocking people out the way and, um, you know, throwing your body around essentially. And the, the actual technical elements of, of passing and kicking were, were, were less than secondary, actually, because there's always two or three guys or girls on a team that have a natural ability to kick a ball further or with better shape or whatever. And it was almost like, right, those guys do that. And then the rest of you just run around. You're small, you play scrum half, you're big, you play lock, et cetera, yes. et cetera. So it was interesting that thing you say about how every day, and maybe that's where you got a lot of your inspiration from basketball is that the, the basic skills actually that make up, you know, the point scoring element of the game uh, are the focus yeah, on the most. It, um, yeah, like just on that, I think it's part of the culture. So um, especially with basketball, uh, definitely in the US and around the world, probably being such an older sport, they've had, a, they've had time to figure out what is really important. And, and you're absolutely right. I, I think... Um, the core skills and um, and micro skills within rugby, they are coached, but it just isn't in the culture to do it every day. And, and just the, the, there's not that value put on the muscle memory and the repetition. And I guess that's, that's definitely from basketball is, yeah, I can tell you how to do it, but it's the, it's the 10,000 10, hours that are going to, going to make it successful. Yeah. Well, there's of course um, for, for most people listening who, who follow rugby in England, of course, one of our great players, Johnny Wilkinson, was the first to bring this sort of mentality into the public domain and the relentless uh, field goal kicking practice that we would see on documentaries. I mean, going back pre-World Cup 2003, even, you know, this, this kid was known for his sort of unbelievable practice ethic, but the, the, the repetition idea and uh, both in the gym and kicking the ball. And I think thereafter, people just assume that everyone kind of was, you know, thinking the same way, but I, I guess that's just not true. Yeah. And it's I, interesting you say that about the coaches yeah. sort of principles. So did, did you find when, when you were playing that, that some of these things were not necessarily overlooked, but the importance wasn't placed on them? Yeah, I do. And I love that word you, you used about relentless because I think a lot of, um, a lot of the guidance nowadays is coming more from the strength and conditioning people and they're all about um, managing load and not overdoing things and injury risk. Whereas um, guys like Johnny knew, knew their body and they were the ones that were having to take the kicks, not the strength and conditioning guys. So yeah. I'll be ready for it. Um, but, but when it comes to that, yeah, I, I think that um, with the modern professional game, there's so much you need to fit into a week in, in a campaign. So e even a preseason feels quite rushed. And so if it's not being led by the head coach or someone high up in the organization that, that we're actually going to spend time every day doing this because it's really important to us then it's not going to happen. And I was lucky to have Tony Brown, who's the Japan coach now, and with the mm -hmm. Highlanders, 
he was a um, he was our coach for for Otago, and he came in with that mentality as as everyone is doing it every day, and and we probably all did it for six months straight, and and we were able to play a game that was extremely skillful and fast that a lot of people couldn't cope with um, for a couple of years, and I, and I think that's probably why the, the Highlanders won a title. Um, was because of a style of game they could play because of their, their core, core skill set. Yeah, and I think um, it's one of the things that really got me about your channel, and again, I got it through LinkedIn, really, um, mm. was that as a, as a, what I would say is a casual rugby fan, especially seasonal, you know, Six Nations, World Cups, that sort of thing, you know, you kind of can't think about anything else, but perhaps during the, what would be our Premier League season, the, the interest level's not so high. What grabbed me about your channel, and, and actually, you know, I'm watching these videos, um, is the ultra detail in, in the process and the thought process behind, you know, let's just take passing a ball off the floor. I saw some of the yeah. stuff you did with Aaron Smith and others. And things like that, you know, I go and play, like, kick the ball around and throw the ball around with my kid in the garden, who's only like five at the moment. So he's not kind of thinking about that stuff yet. But it reminds me of like when I first started playing rugby at school and you're a scrum half and, you know, it's a long time ago. So the, you know, people's minds weren't thinking the same way, but some of the things that you talk about the ultra detail actually start from the most basic of principles. Like I saw one the other day, it's like, where are your fingers pointing when you're touching the ball? And, you know, when yeah. you're placing your hand on the ball, like make a specific, you know, attentive effort to hold the ball correctly rather than, thinking about the spiral, you know, four seconds later, where's it going to end up? How about the basic principle? If you hold it right in the first place, you're going to have yeah. a much better job of getting. Have you found that there's been a lot of interest? I mean, your Instagram page has got a lot of followers, right? And I don't know if they're all necessarily rugby players. Have you found that there's been like a sort of secondary market of people that are really interested in the content because it somehow lifts the lid on the inside of the game? Yeah, and going back to that that point that I kind of said in the intro is that so much of the content was um, so broad, and and here's the three key things, and, and I think you you've absolutely right with when you actually do get into the detail and and you hear from the pros and how they do things, everything's so deliberate and, and thought out and. Um, yeah, to use other examples for pages that I'm interested, I, I love watching some of the golf, um, the golfing clips because some of the detail is, is unbelievable. When you hear the top pros talk about their detail and um, and the feel of things, I think it's it's just so interest so interesting. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that there is a crossover, and and we do have a lot of. Um, different coaches and strength and conditioning people plus plus mum and dad similar to, to your position that um that that have had played themselves or have an interest in the game and I think it also as a spectator when you kind of understand some of these micro stuff and you can see it see it getting executed in a game um that draws you even uh more in as a consumer of the game as well yeah 100% and I think that rugby especially in the UK I mean it's it's much different in New Zealand and uh, different again in Australia but in the UK there's there is this kind of seasonal thing when the Six Nations comes around everyone all of a sudden is a fucking rugby expert and they all, <laughs> yeah. they all played at school and they all did this but what is interesting yeah. is interpretation of rules because they obviously change a lot but also understanding some of those skills and you know you only have to look at videos from 30 years ago to, to see that people didn't pass the ball with anywhere near the accuracy pace and speed that they do 
now. And I think that, you know, channels like yours do sort of open a door, if you like, onto the, the inside of the game. And I, I think that really does help the spectator. And just briefly going off topic, when we played uh, Australia in the Ashes in like 15 years ago, the t- uh, famous 2005 series, the, one of yeah. the reasons it was so popular wasn't just because the, they had five good cricket matches. It was because uh, Channel 4 over here had, had bought the rights to show the test series and they introduced a segment called the analyst with an ex uh, yeah, Middlesex right. opening yep. bowler Simon Hughes and yep. they used to cut to the analyst and he would talk about you know the grip for outswing in swing you know heat <laughs> maps that. and you know what it did it really it really brought people into the game who thought shit I never thought about how you need to you know when you're bowling dot balls that they need to be you know less than a foot apart and all this sort of stuff <laughs> yeah and absolutely and i think it's it's starting to come into rugby here a bit but i would say and this is not really necessarily a criticism it might just because it's what the audience wants to see what we tend to get before a game or at half time is just look how powerful he is god he's a monster yes. and yeah. rather than how did the ball get to the really powerful guy in the first place um, I think I think too just just on that and, and like that that guy you mentioned about doing the um, the cricket and analyst like there's a real skill set behind presenting that and I think sometimes yeah. that there's not that many humans that can one understand it and maybe have used it in their own careers but then can get it across and I've definitely found that a lot of uh, a lot of people are really uh, scared and nervous to to come across, and I think that's why we do see so much generic commentary. Um, so when you when you do find people like that, it's, they're so fascinating to talk to, and I think that's why I've had a lot of coaches on the podcast because they've kind of had time to organise their thoughts and can explain things really well because they have mm. to. Um, and when you come across the players, Aaron Smith's a perfect example. Like he can just talk detail and is so interesting. Um, and I think rugby's starting to go that way. People can start explaining themselves. So great, great, great um, example. Yeah, I think he is, he is an example, Aaron Smith, of a cerebral player as well. And as we know, in all team sports, that there are some who are more sort of mentally on it than others who are more articulate and listening to someone like him does sort of really make you step back and think wow this guy this guy is not just a really good athlete like he spends his time like consuming stuff and he probably watches all the same stuff that i watch but you know he's got the the physical capacity to do it all as well yes um one thing i also find really interesting about your videos is the sort of encouragement of of youth and stuff when do you as a coach yourself and as an ex-player, when do you think, and this is interesting for me as like someone who used to play an awful lot of tennis, uh, especially as a kid, when do you think the, the time is right to sort of not just step up the detail effort, but to, to try and give kids a bit more information that you know is going to help them, but you know, there's a fine line between overloading and putting too much in. What, have you had yeah. any experiences since you've started the channel of, of sort of, of that sort of stuff? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot to come down on the human and whether they're, they're um, wired that way. I'm, I'm very aware that there are the blissfully dumb players and, and they're actually really great to have on the team because they don't think too much and they're, they're never too high or too low. Um, but but for the for the person who, who does enjoy that, that coaching and the detail and the why, and um, I think a lot of first fives end up being that sort of personality, the, the detail, why, tell me, give me all the information. As far as kids go, my advice is there's no reason why you can't aspire to be the best um, player in your under 18. And I think if the, if the coaching's just help helping you be the best player in your under eight or under nine or under 12 team, then that's probably spot on. Um, and then as you go up through the grades, it doesn't change. Just be the best player in the under-14s. And um, and that's probably where I come from. So it, it means that you're not coaching at a level where you expect them to be playing professional rugby uh, at the 18-year-old. You're just trying to make that boy or girl just, just be aware that, hey, we're competitive and we do want to win um, within this grade as well if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I get you. I think the interesting thing for me, um, and probably you know, others listening who've, who've played any level of sport, we, we brought up Johnny Wilkinson earlier and, and other people of that nature. You, know, you, you can't teach every kid to be an obsessive. Um, and yes. some are, have, have an, you know, an inordinate amount of natural ability or flair, but perhaps they want to play all the sports. You hear of these people you know, the bastards who are <laughs> good at like four different sports at sort of junior yeah. national level, like an AP de Villiers or someone. Um, yeah. And when, you know, when do you sort of take someone aside and say, right, you know, let's, you should focus on your rugby kicking now because you've got such a talent for it. You could be really, really good. But of course the guy also wants to go and play football or, or soccer rather or anything yeah. else. It's just that interesting bit for me of, of when, when you kind of, take someone from not just playing for fun, but you know, they're really good and you know, they've got potential. And when do you sort of try and step them up, especially for this sort of relentless practice driven thing that you know is going to help them, you know, succeed. Yeah. And, and I think the, the best coaching, and it probably does happen around that um, end of your high school, 18, 19, 20 years of age, because um, although all that talent is sitting there, the top coaches know that you're probably, going to be five years away from really honing your craft and, and having done the work to to be like a an international world beater like the when you look at the guys that win world cups if you look at um the really extraordinary players they've been doing it for a long time and have got a lot of battle scars to prove it so i think there's huge value in crossover in sports i, I played everything um cricket, basketball, swimming, rugby, um, and, and there's massive crossover. Like some of the, some of the patience that I've learned from cricket um, and, and again, the detail and the, the hours and the nets and, and also bowling, bowling as well. I enjoyed your, um, your swing bowling chat before. Like it really, those sports, um, when, you're, when you're wired a certain way, they're so, they're so awesome and full of detail that you can really buy into. So mm. definitely playing playing and coordination and even a, a game like soccer where you see all the triangles of passing like so good for 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 your coordination and passing game and vision um so i'm a big fan of of heaps of sports yeah i can relate to the swing bar as a, as a former opening bowler myself the the obsession <laughs> with with oh my god i mean if if youtube had been around when i was younger i don't think i would have done yeah. anything else because 
I remember spending hours like scouring the early internet for just like anyone that could tell me how to bowl a yard quicker. Like, what do yes. I have to do to bowl a bit quicker? How can I make it move in more? What's the, you know, how, how could I adjust my, the, my wrist behind the seam to keep it upright so I could get some deviation? Like all of the things that you, you want. And because the beauty is now, there's a million videos with probably mm. with some right and wrong guidance, but there's, there's a lot of that stuff out there. And I, I mean, that kind of brings me on a little bit to, to the sort of social media aspect of, of, of what you do. Of course, it's your, it's your sort of route out to the world. Um, when you first started, did you, I think you mentioned that you started on, on Instagram and you yep. recall the days when, you know, you're like, how the hell's anyone going to follow this? You know, I'm doing all this work. <laughs> did you, did you see a particular moment where you thought, right, yeah, it's starting to work or did you have any reservations or doubts at the beginning? It's funny. It's always been a slow burn. And, and I know that probably sounds weird with the amount of followers that it does have, but there's never been a day where it's just blown up or it's just always been a, a constant um, rolling momentum thing. Um, I definitely uh, found pages that I, I liked and I knew were consumable. I think the the key thing with what I understood was uh, the value that people have on their own time and, and, we don't have time for intros or, or fancy things um, anymore. We, we want we want the message and we want it quickly and, and then we'll move on and, and keep scrolling. Mm. So I def- definitely understood the value of that. All the content that you highlighted before on YouTube, a lot of the first stuff that came out was long-winded with long intros and, and who the person is and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, whereas the, the world we live in now is cut to the point i don't care who you are just tell me what the coaching cue that can help me is mm-hmm. um so I, under, I understood that and and that's that's how i started producing the the, the content um really really effectively yeah and i, I it's interesting because you're your the videos i i get to see on linkedin specifically do get straight to the point and yeah it's it's actually quite good for me because like uh, any of the stuff you might do in the gym and whatever I watch it and I get it and it's kind of it's logged and as you say then you yeah. you sort of move on and you can't let your ego be damaged by that because that's just how people are right um yeah you know, they move on and you're right if every video had oh, I'm Pete and here's my background and this is why I'm you know you wouldn't get you wouldn't get to the actual coaching advice um yes, what do you yeah. find has been the most effective of the platforms in terms of engagement uh, Instagram has been great because I think um, it's very user friendly with, with tagging friends. Um, if you see something uh, that's really effective, you kind of know within the first hour whether the video is going to be successful. Um, yeah. And I suppose if we're talking from that uh, vein of point, like if the video goes really well, people are tagging. That's why a lot of people say tag a friend in a lot of their comments and, and it's getting good engagement and quick likes and the video does get more exposure. The, the thing that I always do is, is and this sounds um, a bit funny, but if the video is going to help one person and, and I know it's going to help one person, then the chances are it's going to help a few people as well. Um, so that's always what I really try to remember is not getting too fancy with the video. I know that this is going to help someone and uh, um, generally a lot of other people will learn from it as well. Yeah, and there is actually, well, in, in my experience of working in sport, 
and the media and marketing side, there is quite a skill in curating content for the different platforms. I think one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is, I think they think it's very simple to, to record a longer form video for YouTube and then just cut it up and use it. But actually, the beginning and the end of, a, of an Instagram video are quite important, especially if you're expecting them to maybe click into to, to learn more. Um, yeah. Do you, have you found that you've Good had point. like a geographical bias at all? Is it, I mean, or have you, have you gone global? Yeah, so, I mean, our biggest market is, is the UK. So that's where we have the most followers. Um, I think it's UK, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa is going really well and Japan's starting to go. Um, but it's incredible. Like we've sold cooking teas to over 48 countries now. So wow. um, the reach is, is ginormous and it's amazing. Some of the countries, India, Malaysia, the messages we get of, of these teams that are working extremely hard and playing amazing rugby in countries you've never seen playing rugby before. Well, that's um, cool. Actually, just, just whilst you're on that, um, since we are a podcast that does do a lot of stuff about sports business, um, why don't you tell us about the tees and the kind of link between rugby bricks and the kicking tees and, and how you stuck by the principle of having the, the tees made in New Zealand, I believe, rather than getting them outsourced yes. to China or wherever else. Um, just tell us a little about the tea project and, and how you kind of lent into that. Yeah, so being a, a goal kicker myself, I, I knew the value of a kicking tee. Like it's, as a rugby player, you can really only buy boots and mouth guard and, and a kicking tee if you're a kicker. So there's not that many things that you can be precious over you think about other sports and the amount of money you can spend on the game or um, within rugby. So I knew that there was an opportunity for a really special product with a good story behind it um, and, you know, top of the range. So that's what I wanted to create. Obviously being a kicker, I love kicking and and the science behind it. So within New Zealand, I I looked around with with who could help me with the project, found an amazing guy, who was just outside of my hometown, um, who could do it. Um, he, he does amazing molds for, for companies all over the world and loves rugby just like everyone else in New Zealand. So he got what I was trying to achieve. Um, started with the one T and, 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 you know, a T molds $10,000 New Zealand to, to make. So yeah. they're not, you, you want to get them right. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. And so, and so now we've got six kicking tees in, in the range and, and they're all um, catered for, for everyone, every different style of kicking. So I was really proud to, to make it in New Zealand because I wanted it to, to have a story and meaning and, and quality behind it. Um, and obviously with, with the All Blacks doing what they do, New Zealand's a great place to, to make a rugby product from. Awesome. Um, and, and yeah, so it's something that I'm really proud of. So yeah, we, we got on to, to, to selling them, started slowly, and then um, as the product kind of went, it, it sort of spoke for itself and the, and the quality behind it. And I think the most, uh, the, the thing that I've always tried to do is we're trying to trying to build a kicker rather than the kicking tee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've definitely been aware of that with the content we put out. I see a lot of people start businesses, whatever their product is, and all you see on their Instagram feed or whatever platform they post on is the product. Um, and if you think about it, if I was purely posting pictures of just kicking tees, um, the page would get quite bland. So um, it's always been my thing. We're, we're building a kicker rather than a kicking tee. And um, it just so happens our tees are, are really good too. 
<laughs> I think that's a really cool principle, actually. Um, and it's something um, that, you know, so, you know, day to day, my work is in horse racing. And it's something that we're trying to bring to the to the party as well, that, you know, the the actual product is is part of the, the bigger ecosystem. And I love mm. that thing of building a kicker and not just a T because you're subconsciously you're showing what the product can do you know what it's all about obviously but without just showing a picture of a rubber molded tea and yes, um, correct so have you has the success of the tea sales been a sort of a direct or pretty direct correlation with the success of the channel or did you see one jump before the other yeah and uh it, it has definitely so the the a lot of guys showed interest and that's probably a, the beauty of social media now it's it's we're only one message away from everyone in the world, which is incredible. So yeah. um, I would often see a player, um, say like a Quade Cooper, liking a few posts. Um, this is a good story, actually. So Quade liked a couple of posts, messaged him. He messaged back within an hour. Uh, I think two days later, we had a kicking session. And then that weekend, he was using a, using one of our tees um, in a super rugby game. Oh, that's <laughs> so, cool. Um, so I guess that's, 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 um, the real high apply stories, but, um, as the brand's grown and there's a little bit of more trust, the definitely the, um, the players have, have come through and, and tried out tees and, um, yeah, really got, got behind the brand. And obviously you would have seen the outwork out learn sort of motto we put on everything. And I think that just ties in so well with, um, guys like Johnny Wilkinson and, and the goal kickers because, there's a lot of work that has to be done to be, to be good at it. Yeah. And, um, different types of, uh, well, not different types of rugby, but different rugby philosophies will put more emphasis on, on getting into uh, territory where you are able to win a pen and, uh, stick points yes. on the board. And especially in, uh, six nations rugby, I think a game is between sort of Ireland, Wales, England, to some extent where the game is decided by the uh yes, successful yeah. goal kicks and um yeah. i mean just for you know a question that i don't think any of us apart from someone like you will know um a rugby kicking tee does it have a lifespan i mean are you talking clubs going through dozens of these things or do players have their own that they that they like and you know will they then buy a stash of them or does the club have yeah. like a whole variety how, how does that side of it work i mean this <laughs> good, is getting into the question. detail <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's actually the the player. So um, I mean, clubs might purchase tea just to have uh, if someone forgets one turning up. But definitely, as you get up through through the levels, it's definitely your own little baby, and and you look after it. And generally, you have your own favourite tea. That um, it's kind of like a cricket bat. Once you've scored runs with it, you you don't really want to change it. So yeah. um, the the kicking tea is the exact same, and um, like. My kicking tee when I was playing last me the full six years. I used the exact same game tee, so um, our kicking tees are the same. Um, the only thing you'd probably change is, is the colour. Um, right. So they do have a do have a long um, life shelf, and you do fall in love with the one that that works well, and you kick some big big moments in. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of how they roll. And again, again, this, this might sound a bit mundane to some people, but. It interests me from a product development point of view. I presume there is simple regulations in place from from the various different leagues on height and all of that stuff. Is there a uniform worldwide regulation for that stuff, or is each league 
uh, or jurisdiction? Just, just on height. Yeah, so, so it's just a world regulation on height. So it's um, 135 millimeters is the highest you can go. Um, right. And other than that, you can you can do whatever you want, which is um, pretty interesting. <laughs> so well, it is really because then you start to think about all sorts of things like balance and you know yes the size of the base how broad it might be depending on the surface do you have a i know maybe this is not what is thought about but i would think of you know well what if it's a particularly wet or muddy pitch does this one sit as well as i don't know you know things like that yeah oh 100 percent, and that's what we what we did so um the thermo thermoplastic sort of rubber material we use is adapted we we tried a few and we wanted the one that sort of grabbed the rugby ball the best um mm-hmm. so we definitely went went with that um and then the beauty of this place and, and i suppose why i didn't want to go out of china is because I wanted the back and forth between me and, and the manufacturer. So 3D printing is, is the new thing now. So we could put a design into a into a computer and then 3D print it. Yes, it was a hard, really awful thing to kick with, but get an idea of whether this was going to work. Um, so, so we definitely did a, a couple of runs for all the kicking tees that just to make sure it would work before we actually went with the, the, um, the rubber mold. There's, there's a small business lesson here to learn for, for people that are listening who um, I, I've also done a bit of product stuff in my, in my life. And there's something I think that to learn from your, your experience here with the teas is that it, it's, it's very extremely advantageous to, to launch a product that you're passionate about and that you have experience with as well. That Of course, there are lots of people that launch apps and, you know, t-shirt type products or whatever that don't need a huge amount of kind of personal inbuilt knowledge but i remember we we set up a small business a few years ago uh cricket bat business we were getting the wood and the shaped uh bats from india we went out to india went to all the different factories and one of our business partners had never really played cricket and had a very good sort of view on the business side of it but, you know, yeah. if, unless you've played and you picked up a bit of wood and you know the, the mind of a batsman, you, you wouldn't really know where to start, even if someone gave you a thousand branded bats to sell. And I think yeah. it's interesting that you talk about the back and forth. We had the same with the back and forth. It was very, very difficult to do a back and forth with a guy in India who's yeah. planing, you know, thousands <laughs> of planks of wood a week. Um, yes. <laughs> but if you don't have that, and also if you don't have the experience of when you get the product, I mean, I presume that when you started doing this and probably even still now you're still testing them yourself right yes absolutely and the thing that came to my head as you were speaking was just how many different ways kickers around the world put the ball on a tee right um so not even it's not a golf ball um everyone puts puts the ball on the tee with seams in different ways and angles so now you've got to have something that that holds a whole range of things and, and that's something that you just know from from inside knowledge and the, the other big thing with kicking tees is we all my generation i'm 31 now we all grew up watching wilkinson and carter so they they kicked off low to the ground kicking tees and one thing I quickly learned is this next generation's all watching Owen Farrell, Andre Pollard, Bowden Barrett kick off um, a taller tee which when I mean, they have the ball leaning forward so they want what those guys use we all mimic the generation kind of just in front of us yep. um, and again going back to inside knowledge and, and I think that that's really important and um, 
Yeah. But one thing that I do probably want to point out is, is the story behind it. Because um, if you think about a product like skateboards, um, there's brands that do really well uh, with skateboards and there's other brands that don't. But yet for the, the public, they all just look like a skateboard. Um, and I think that's why the New Zealand thing and, and the story and the artwork and who we're looking for and what type of player we're trying to be and the content all ties into why a kicking tee is good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really uh, bought into that example because I got told that as I was going through about the skateboard and it's, it's so true. It is. And it's funny you bring up skateboards because a couple of years ago when I was having a midlife crisis, I guess, I decided that I'd try and learn to skateboard again. Um, I love it. Which, by the way, in your mid-30s is hard. Just want to put that out there. <laughs> yes. Anyone that's thinking yep. about learning skateboarding again, uh, mainly because when you're younger, you don't have the same capacity to <laughs> yeah. know what fear, you know, you don't know what the other side of the fear is. You know that if you fall off, it's going to hurt, but you don't, yeah. you don't know what you know when you're 30-odd. <laughs> um, and that's interesting. 100%. I'm, I'm going to have to find out. Uh, sorry, this is going to drive me nuts. What board did I buy? Because I decided, as usual, that I was going to do this and I was going to really go for it. So yeah, I watched every <laughs> YouTube video that possibly was in existence um, about learning to skateboard if you were older. <laughs> and I watched some really cool stuff. And I ended up buying a really, a really nice board um, skate hut. Here we go. I'm just seeing the orders in my Gmail. A Voltage Graffiti Logo Complete Skateboard. Wow, the Voltage. <laughs> Still by my front door. It's fucking cool. Um, but you're right because... And, and actually, at that point, you're presented with, especially as a noob, you're presented yes. with a thousand, literally thousands and thousands of options from board to trucks to wheels. And you're like, where do you start? So actually, when you go and watch a video from someone who's, I don't know, got a good demeanor, you can see they're in San Diego or somewhere like that where, you know, skate and they're saying, do you know what, if you're starting out, this is a really good board. And yeah. You know, that, and you're right, that, that piece about, I never even thought about it until you mentioned it, but the idea that, that the heritage behind not just the T's, but the channels is New Zealand. And, you know, the, the thing above all else that the country's known for is rugby. It must have mm. played a massive part in it. And it's, it's, it's interesting the way you're, you're trying to carry it through the brand. Um, what do you think's next for, for your but not just for rugby tees or for rugby bricks. It sounds like you're someone that's always maybe got their eye on what happens next. Have you got anything specific or are you just going to keep chugging? Yeah. So we, we've launched an online platform called detail funnily enough, because I love detail. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's where it's where we've got long form content. Um, A lot of the stuff that you've seen me present over the the last three years with rugby bricks is, is all going to be put on long form uh, episodes. So I think that with content, yes, there's the, the TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, but for now the person that's like, like you similar to yourself with your, your skateboarders, I want to take this seriously. I'm going to spend a little bit of, but a subscription money to, to really get the best knowledge. So we've just launched it. I've done a, a passing episode and, and a goal kicking ones coming out uh, on the first but where I see this going is I, I know that I'm extremely curious with 
with rugby and, and skills and, and most things in life that, that I like. So I want to get um, I want to get props talking about the scrums and how they do things and the drills and, and explaining things and I want to get locks explaining about the line out and and flankers doing breakdowns, um, fullback high ball. So so covering all that range plus going into uh, detail episodes with coaches, um, how they set up their session plans, culture sessions and and. That's kind of the next phase that we're getting into with Rugby Bricks, that, that online stuff. And through those episodes, obviously, that'll help us fill our channels of Instagram, YouTube, Facebook through shorter form clips. So that's the big project at the moment. Um, COVID's been not great for, for starting this out, but it's, it's allowed us to get the site live and, and how we want it before hopefully the world opens up again. Yeah, I think think that sounds fascinating and um i i certainly would be into all that have you any aspirations to not move the channel but to kind of get on to to bring it into the the mainstream media and off social media you know for example if one of your explanatory pieces of two or three minutes if you have you had any offers or have you thought about how that might be woven into sort of live tv or anything like that yeah, and I have thought about it, and I think I'm kind of I'm aware that I'm not always going to be this Instagram person, and and I'm aware that, and I'm actually I'm thinking one day that it'll stop and I'll move on, and and that would have been a really cool project. Um, I'd love to get into uh, what you explained about that cricketer um, explaining things, but also another thing that I'm involved with was is actually coaching. So I coach the the women's. Um, 15 side here, the Wallaroos. So um, that's another path that I'm that I'm keen to go down. It's my second year of coaching, so I'm pretty green to green to it. But um, yeah, really enjoying that. So that's kind of the next step is probably getting into uh, more of the professional coaching side of things. Um, and yeah, who knows what will come in the future? It's hard with this stuff because, as I know from from this. Uh, from this blog or the website you know the amount of time you have to put into the the stuff especially when you've set it up largely on your own and you've got processes in place and you you know i mean for us like you know publishing even a, a blog post may seem the easiest thing but there's you know 20 things you have to do and yes. you know and then let alone the social and all the rest of it and you kind of think god i can't wait to the point where i could get someone else to do this so i could then focus on a bigger picture um mm. Because and as you say, if you're doing something like coaching, then it's very hard to balance both and spend all the time doing the minutiae of, of launching channels and 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 keeping up with the social. I mean, especially when you've got a, an Instagram channel as big as yours, sometimes. Yeah. And as you know, the success really comes from when you start engaging back with people. It's no good if they comment on your channel and then you never reply. Um, yeah. How do you manage that? Have you, have you got a team working on that full time or is that something that you kind of work your way through or does it depend? Yeah. So about just over a year ago now, I, I teamed up with my business partner. I, um, and I'm sure you follow him. Gary V um, speaks yeah. highly about when you, when you start this. Yes, it's fantastic to learn the nitty gritty and go through it, but you spend way too much time in the business rather than working on the business. Um, and the other thing too was just the skill set, being aware of what you're good at, what you're not good at. So my business partner came in, he's great um, on the, the account side of thing and forecasting and 90 day plans. So he's been 
magic for that and, and systemizing everything. Um, I've also got a, a VA, which is a virtual assistant. She's fantastic with a lot of our inbound stuff, plus the, the emails that come through with um, online orders and, and just dealing with that stuff and anything that I need to deal with, she, she sends through. Um, and then we've also uh, got, got a girl with, with the graphic side, which is magic. Um, and then one other person who, who's just started as, as sort of an internship to, to help do the, the scheduling of content across Facebook, LinkedIn, um, YouTube. I'm still heavy in, in Instagram. I, I really enjoy that game and going back and forth and, and people, I think, enjoy talking with, uh, with myself and knowing that it is me and, and how I talk, um, which is really important. So, um, and I think anyone who's, who's trying to, to build something that gets to a stage where you need help and um, you shouldn't be too proud to, to, to ask for help <laughs> yeah. because it all does, it, it gets too much and just new eyes. I, I love when an intern or, or a graphics girl says, Hey, why are you doing that? You should try it this way. Have you seen this? Like just fresh eyes on a project, pretty, pretty valuable. Completely. Um, we'll start to wrap things up. So just something, maybe a takeaway. Is there anything that you've learned from, not necessarily just from setting up the platform, but from from your life working in sport that you that you've taken away that that's kind of you've been able to apply to your life outside of the game. I mean, we have various business leaders, sports leaders on the podcast over the last few weeks, and it seems like a lot of them have have taken something from their sort of career, if you like, and and put it into to practice in their their life off the pitch or or out of the boardroom is there anything that you would mm. say you've taken wisdom wise from from your playing and and things you've done with rugby bricks to that you now apply in your day-to-day life i think allowing yourself to become obsessed with something <laughs> i think um so so many of us try to stay safe and we don't want to go too hard at something because we get mocked or uh, definitely tall poppy syndrome do, do you call it that over a in the UK, tall poppy. No, no what's that? Okay, so so just when a poppy grow, when a poppy grows tall, too tall, it gets cut. Yeah. Um, in a field of poppies. Yeah. Um, and so we do that to each other within our culture. Whereas the best players, and I've actually been seeing a lot of this with business and coaches, but definitely with actors. Um, when you see an actor take on a new role or have to cut weight or transform their body, like they just become so obsessed. And we we end up with this amazing movie that we all take for granted. But um, anyone who's done anything that's that's been really successful has become really obsessed with what they're doing, and um, and a, a little bit selfish to to not do other things and not let other people in because they want to get this thing right. And um, that's probably the the key element that I see if we go come back to rugby players is the ones that. Um, have an amazing string to their bow, their bow, a world-class kicking or passing or, or an ability to scrum, have been obsessed with it for, for many years. I like that. That's cool. Um, and I couldn't agree with you more, actually. And I think that from most people's experience, things that there's a reason, right, why people love their hobbies and they generally love their hobbies more than their work because they become more obsessed with their hobbies than they do with their yes. work generally, or, or at least in years gone by when we were kind of all doing more, you know, generic nine to five jobs. But if you, if you could take, you know, what 
someone knew about, I don't know, bird watching or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Look at the level of detail and understanding they have and apply that to the work they do every day. I imagine they would be hundred percent very happy yeah. person. Yeah. Um, and the other thing too is, sorry, just to touch on that, when you yeah. talk with someone who, and let's use your example of bird watching, if you were to talk to someone who like just tells amazing stories of the trick that they took to take this one photo and they just, you see the excitement, all of a sudden they become a really interesting person to talk to. Yeah. But also, and this is the bit that really gets me in professional life and it really pisses me off actually. If you and I <laughs> listened to that bird watcher, we wouldn't turn around and go, oh, so are you a professional bird watcher then? Yes. You know, how do yep. you justify your knowledge? Are you a professional at it? And that's what kind of <laughs> bugs me is that the people don't feel often that, you know, who's this expert? Who's this guy talking? Or who's this girl talking? Unless they make, yeah. you know, and this is why people get down on influencers and all that stuff, because it's sort of, when do you allow someone's obsession to, to make them worth listening to, to validate mm -hmm. them? You know, you don't have to, at your beginning of your video, say, former pro, rugby coach, I do this, I do that, because actually the, the video speaks for itself. So no one, yeah. maybe afterwards someone Googles, well, who's this guy? But they're not going to go, Good well, what's yeah. this guy talking about? They don't, because they can hear it in your voice and from your actions. And sorry, I'm ranting a bit, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're totally right. It's true, because like, you know, I, and, you know, you talk, Gary Vee does talk about stuff like this as well. He's like, there's sometimes people come and pitch an idea to me about something I know nothing about. I don't then question everything about them and who they are all i know is that they're an expert on this idea and i can tell from the way they talk yeah yep totally um, agree. right that ran over um just before we go one thing we ask everyone that comes on the podcast pete what is your favorite type of dog we actually have a golden retriever their name's indy yes. and i think i think they're incredible they're, they're pretty close to humans at times <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. Um, right, Pete, I, um, I'm going to let you get on and enjoy your evening in Melbourne and I'm going to enjoy my day just starting in the UK. Thanks very much for coming on. Um, to anyone listening, we're going to put all of um, Pete's links in the show notes. And I think, Pete, I might try and do something with you, a written piece on, on details specifically in the coming weeks. So if you've got time for that, we can do that. Um, and thanks very much for coming on. No, thank you. I um, yeah, really enjoyed that chat. It was cool to, cool to talk through some of that stuff. So thanks for having me on, Ollie. Okay, no worries, guys. Right, uh, everyone, have a good day. Um, I can't remember who we've got coming on next. Um, there's three or four now that holidays and COVID's getting better, but um, have a good week, and I'll catch up with you soon. <laughs>